Welcome to St. James, glad to see all you guys, and also welcome to the people uh, watching on the live stream, glad that you're here too. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going over the notices, you can read those. Everything's on schedule for today. If you want to come to new members class tonight, uh, that would be a really fun thing for you to do because we're having a good time. Uh, Ask me if you have any questions about that, and then you can check out the rest of the schedule for yourself. Uh, Go ahead and stand up with me, and then we'll pray, and then we'll continue worshiping. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for being a loving God, a a God who's generous with yourself, and that's what we need. We need you, Father. We uh, don't need more information. Uh, We need you in the flesh, rescuing our flesh. And so we pray this morning that that would be real, that you would come and meet with us here, that your Holy Spirit would empower us and fill us up and open our eyes to your glory, that you would come here in person and speak your word and give us your body and blood and holy communion. That's what we want. That's what we crave. That's what we need, Father. We pray that you would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God, our Father. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of your servants and remember us. We pour out our souls to You because by our own efforts we have failed. Nothing we have tried has worked. We have tried again and again, and still we have failed. O Lord of hosts, 
Look on the affliction of Your servants and remember us. Save us from the embarrassment of our failure. Save us from envying those who have apparently succeeded. Grant us some signs of success that we not always be ashamed. O Lord of hosts, look on the affliction of Your servants and remember us. You know our need. You know our struggles, our brokenness, our sins. You know that without Your mercy, we can do nothing. Grant us mercy for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sins. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Psalm for today is from Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, The Old Testament reading, uh, this is really interesting to me. The Old Testament reading in the lectionary for this Sunday is Proverbs 9, 1-10. And it connects with... um, it connects with the gospel reading because uh, verse five of this, we, we, you'll see it when we get there. Come eat of my bread. Uh, J- Jewish scholars uh, for centuries now who've commented on this verse have have said this is talking about the word of God. That when wisdom sets the table of food for the people to eat, it's God's word that they're actually eating. And I think that Jesus pulls on that string every once in a while to connect what he's saying about him being the bread of life with the Word of God. More on that later. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continuing on in our reading of Ephesians the past few weeks, we come to Ephesians 5, 6-21. through And I'm going to read this and then I'm going to make just a couple comments, a mini-sermon at the end of this reading here. Um, Let no one deceive you, Paul says, with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, just let me do this. Uh, I promise this will be 30 seconds. A lot of, and you, compared to a lot of other Lutheran churches I've been in, you guys sing really well. But, um, you know, so there's lots of commands in the scripture about singing. And of course, one of the things that we do when we sing uh, hymns is we're worshiping God. You know, our hymns are oriented towards Him. But twice in Paul's writings, he emphasizes that when we sing, we also are singing to each other. And this is one example, addressing, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is all I'm saying, is that I need you guys to sing like you believe in Jesus. And it has nothing to do like, nobody's ever going to always like all the music. I don't like all the music. But like, I, my heart craves hearing your voices sing like you believe that God is real and that Jesus is his son and that the Holy Spirit loves us and is with us. And that's, you know, it just turns out that we're about to sing a hymn here. So feel free to, to, to do that here. But like, I, I crave that. I need you guys to teach me about Jesus in your singing. Okay, that's the end of the sermon.
Let's stand for the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 6. This is Jesus talking, and He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is My flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For My flesh is true food and My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me and I in him. As the living Father sent Me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on Me, he also will live because of Me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as He taught at Capernaum. And when many of His disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, there's that word again. Uh, It's a very, very uh, uh, desert in Exodus word. It's the same word that's back in verse 41. Uh, where he's talking about the Jews grumbling against him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Uh, From our text last week. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Okay, you can be seated. So this is the third week uh, that uh, uh, Jesus, or the, this is the third week that the lectionary has been in the Gospel of John. So Gospel of Mark, we've been working through Mark this year. Um, that's the second year of the lectionary. Um, we get to the feeding of the 5,000, and then the lectionary peels away from Mark and goes over to John, because Mark doesn't have a whole lot to say about the feeding of the 5,000. He just gives you the event. He puts you into the event. And then he doesn't really explain it. You're just kind of living in this moment where Jesus is creating food. John, though, like takes the event and gives us chapter 6 where Jesus is having this conversation with people about what just happened. What's that mean? What does it mean that this guy makes bread um, from heaven? And so we spent the past three weeks in the, in, in the Gospel of John. And um, this is the third of uh, the three weeks. And we've talked about what does Jesus mean that he's the bread of heaven? Jesus is the one who gives life to the world. He's the source of life for the whole world. How does this come to us? We talked about that last week, God's sovereign love and grace. And then this week I wanted to talk about what does this have to do with Holy Communion? I think that's an important thing for all Christians to be talking about. I found when I talked to Lutherans that they all have this sense that Holy Communion is important. And many of them have, many of us I should say, we have a few catechism phrases that we know that can apply to it, which are all good. But what I want to do is I want to talk about like what does it mean though? 
And so when you say the catechism phrases uh, about Holy Communion, like what is it like? Let's put some meat on that skeleton. That's what I kind of want to do this morning. So one question that comes up is, is Jesus talking about Holy Communion here? And I think that the answer is yes. I, you know, I don't know what else to do with whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I will raise him up from the last day. But you'd be surprised how many commentators say he, it doesn't have anything to do with communion, that Jesus is actually just teaching us that we need to be connected to him. Now, I will agree with them that, this is all preface, by the way, I will agree with them that this text is not about Holy Communion. But I do think that Holy Communion is about this text. So Jesus is not giving us this full-fledged theology and practice of what to do at the Lord's table. But when we get to the Lord's table, we can look back on his comments that he's making here and say, that's what he meant. Feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. Okay, I get it. All right, still, this is all still preface. Let me, a couple more words of introduction here. First of all, uh, to be honest with you, this isn't going to be much of a sermon. This is going to be more uh, teachy than it is preachy. And if, 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 if that's not your speed, I, I really am sorry. I don't necessarily like to do that. I feel like I should be proclaiming stuff in here. But th that's just the way it's going to have to happen today, and I apologize. I'll do better next week, I promise. Uh, the second thing I want to say is that uh, the target, what, I'm, what, what John and Jesus are fighting against here is something that's super common in Christianity today and manages to leach its way over into the Lutheran church as well. It's this notion that faith is something that happens up here. That faith is a spiritual experience, by which we usually mean it's a mental experience. Like when I say, I believe in Jesus, what I mean is, in my head, I say, I think Jesus is true. He died and rose from the dead. And I hope that you do, by the way. Um, I want that to be the case. But what Jesus is trying, the target here is that Christianity does not primarily happen in between your ears. That Christianity is a, is a historical tidal wave that's been sweeping over all creation for thousands of years now and has caught you guys up into the middle of it. And are you going to surf the tidal wave or are you going to try and swim against it? That's the question. And what does it have to do with faith? Faith is this is it. This is, I'm on the tidal wave of God's kingdom and I'm surfing this. And that's what faith is. It's less like what you're thinking in your head and more like, what are you doing in your story? What are you doing in your life? That's the target goal here. That's why communion is so important, right? Because communion isn't a concept. It's not, you don't, you don't read a book about communion and then like, oh, I've received the benefits of communion. No, communion is actually a drama. We get to act out the Exodus story every Sunday. In other words, like we get to ride the tidal wave every Sunday. You get to be a part of it. That's the target goal here. Okay, last thing. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you my main outline right off the bat here and then unpack it because like, there's no point in trying to be dramatic about, that, about this. Like I said, this is not a very good sermon. It's more of a lecture than anything else. But there's three, there's three primary agents in the gospel reading today that are working towards this one goal. And, and it's, the same thing is said about each one of these three agents in the text that they're doing the same thing. So first of all, the flesh of God. And, and, John, and Jesus is going to say, the, my flesh gives life. Second of all, the Spirit of God. And Jesus is going to say, the Spirit gives life. And then third of all, the Word of God. And Jesus and then Peter are both going to say, the Word of God, the Word of Jesus gives life. These are the three primary agents in the story today, which, by the way, are the three primary agents in Holy Communion. 
the flesh of God, the spirit of God, and the word of God. This is what the sacraments are, right? Like how can water do such great things, Luther asks. Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith, which trusts the word of God in the water. And he's super clear in the third article that faith comes by the spirit. It's the spirit that creates faith. So whenever you talk about the sacraments, it's always the flesh, the flesh of God, some physical holy communion, the flesh of God, the spirit of God, and the word of God, like in this perfect storm, in this perfect storm. So that, that's, where, that's, that's where we're going with this. Okay. Um, I guess let's just jump into this. Let's talk about the body of God. In verses 53 through 58, uh, Jesus is going to use the word flesh in just about every verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here's what you don't want to do. In the church that I grew up in, and I'm going to bang on the church I grew up in just a little bit today, and it's not because I don't love that church, and I do. And in many ways, I'll say this, and some of you, this is the kind of like, I'm not trying to be provocative, but some people will be like, oh, that's weird that he's saying this. Like, in many ways, I'm still a Baptist, you know, like I have these Baptist sensibilities. I don't preach like a Lutheran. I preach more like the Baptist preachers I heard growing up. So I'm not bashing Baptists at all. I promise, I swear. Um, there's many things, I'll put it this way, there's many things that we as a Lutheran church need to learn from the Baptist. Just say it like that. However, as a Baptist, I would have said, okay, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Move number one, he doesn't really mean that. Anytime Jesus says something or Paul or Peter or John say something and your first exegetical move is, they don't really mean that. You know that you're probably off on the wrong foot. The best thing to do is to say, Jesus really means that. I have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And then the next move is to say, what does that mean? And how is my theological worldview going to have to shift to fit with what Jesus is saying? Here's what he's saying. His flesh is vital for salvation. Now, I don't want to unpack this too much because last week I talked about this. And if you weren't here and you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the sermon from last week. Jesus' flesh is essential. And the reason why is because my problem is my flesh is screwed up. My body is my problem, all right? My problem isn't primarily spiritual, although it certainly is. My problem is that my spiritual problem keeps messing up with my body. My mouth keeps on mouthing off to Angela. And my mouth keeps on losing its temper at the kids. And, and, and my hands keep on stealing. And my body keeps on laying in bed too long and being lazy. And then to top it all off, like it's going to die eventually. My body's going to die. My problem is my body. That's why I need Jesus' flesh to fix my... Let me say it a different way. Let's say, let, let's say that you know, you're in this spot. You're in spot A. And you want to move to spot B because spot B is better. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you'll know more in spot B or you'll be a better person in spot B or your skill level will be higher in spot B. And this is the way we do this. This is the way it works all the time, is if you want to move from spot A to spot B, you basically have three options. And the first option is instruction, like learning information. Okay, that's the first option. If I want to know about the history of Alaska, what do I need to do? I need to go get a book about the history of Alaska, or I need to jump on Netflix and type in Alaska Docs, or something like that. I need information to move me from, I don't know hardly anything about Alaska, to Oh, I know some more about Alaska. Information is, is the first way to do that. Example is the second way, you know, getting a, little, getting a little more intense. Example would be a second way. Like if I wanted to learn how to do something, like if I, you know, if I was like, you know what, I should change the oil in my, in my own car. 
my first move would probably be to go to YouTube and put in like 2016 Honda Odyssey oil change and then watch the video. And what I would be doing is I'd be watching this person. I, I would be actually watching them change the oil in that vehicle, which is just like mine. And then I'd be paying attention to their example so that I could match up with that. And that's the way like a certain other level of knowledge works is like you learn by watching somebody else do something. Guiding is even an even more intense level, like to be, to be guided through something. So if I wanted to teach Harry how to tie a tie, and you know what I couldn't do is say, okay, I couldn't do instructions. Like here, read this book on how to tie a tie. Like that's hard to do something manual like that just from like words. I also couldn't do the example thing because like I'd show him how to tie a tie, but it's completely backwards from where he's standing, right? So the move when you're teaching somebody how to tie a tie is you actually have to stand behind them and tie it for them around their neck so they can watch your hands like they're their hands doing it. That's the move. Or like if you're, if I was, you know, you're going to teach one of your kids to ride a bike and you, you remember that moment, like when you decide, okay, let's take off the training wheels, but you're not really sure. And so you kind of jog along with them for a little bit, holding onto the seat. What you're doing is you're guiding them here. I want you to feel what it feels like to bike with no training wheels. That's guiding. That's a super important. And in the world we do, this is what, this is how we learn things. Whether you want to be a Buddhist or, you know, whether, whether you want to be a stockbroker, these are the three levels you'll go through. You'll go through instruction. You'll read the Pali Canon, the writings of the Buddha, or you'll read a book on, on how to be a stockbroker. Your next level would be, uh, you know, let's get, let's get some example training. Um, you, could, uh, you could try to imitate the Buddha. The Buddha himself said that was his main job, was to be an example. Like, he personally wasn't important, he said. Like, follow my example, and then once you know how to do it, you can, like, abandon me. Like, he said, I'm a canoe. And once you use the canoe to get across the river, you don't take the canoe and put it on your shoulders and march off into the mountains. You don't need the canoe anymore. You just abandon it because now you know how to cross the river. Uh, you could go to, like, you probably go to some sort of like business school, right? Where you could learn from people who'd already done it before. Your third level would be to get a guide, like if, you know, to, to, to connect yourself to a guru if you wanted to be a better Buddhist. Or to like, you know, try to meet Warren Buffett or go to the seminars where he's teaching. To, like choose somebody to like, emulate and like follow their patterns. Now here's the deal. All of that is important. And there's a little bit of that in Christianity. We do have a book. We do have examples. Like you know you have people in your life that you can follow. In some senses Jesus is an example, in some senses in some senses Abraham's an example, in some senses we also have like guides, people who we walk through closely as they walk on the Christian life. But honestly, this is super important about sinners. Honestly, Christianity is way more than that. And if that's all you're doing as, as a Christian is like, okay, I'm like reading and then I'm trying to do the, be the example. Like it's never going to be enough because you actually, so, so here's the deal, like I could learn how to change my oil, but you know what my biggest problem is? Is like eventually I'm going to die and I'm not going to need that car anymore. Like I could learn how to ride a bike. I could get somebody to guide me and teach me how to ride a bike. But there's no way I can ever pedal fast enough to outrace death. My problem is death. I don't need to know more things. Like, I don't need Jesus to say, here's a book. Follow these instructions and you'll never die. I don't need, like, okay, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna think about Jesus rising from the dead and that's what I wanna do. I'm gonna follow that example. That's not gonna work either. I actually need somebody inside me, living inside of me. 
I need this. I need a, a source of power of eternal life inside here that will let me never die. And the best way that Jesus can communicate this truth that I'm not a new Moses. Like, I'm not your Bobo. I'm not here to teach you how to beat the Romans or even to teach you how to be more moral. I am here to get inside of you. The best way he can do to say that is you're going to have to eat me. You're going to have to chew me up and eat me. That's the best way he has to do it, okay? I don't know what else to do with that, except I don't need more instruction. I don't need more faith in my head. I don't need to know, I've got to really contemplate the resurrection more. I already know the resurrection. I need something inside of me creating life. That's the first move. That's why, so just to connect it with communion here real quick. This is why the fact that my body needs rescuing is move number one. That's why God became a body to fix us. My body needs rescuing. God takes upon a body forever so that his body can die and rise from the dead and so his body can rescue my body. When the, when the benefits of that salvation come to me, they're going to have to come to me physically. It's not going to come to me intellectually or emotionally. That'll be a part of it, but it also needs to, does, that make, does, this, make, does this make sense? Can I talk like it's a lecture? Like, does this make sense? Like, if my body needs saved, I need the benefits of salvation physically. I don't need to know more. I don't need a deeper experience of like the, you know, the, the, the mysterious, immaterial world of the grace of God. I need my body rescued. I need something physical applied to me. I also need spirit, spiritual. Let's move on to the next point. The Spirit of God is also absolutely essential. The flesh of God and the Spirit of God. And you cannot separate the two, right? Here's where, we get, let's, here's where we're going to go with this. The disciples are like, man, this is crazy what this guy is saying. And they're grumbling at him too. And Jesus is like, do you take offense at this? Look at verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So there's two pieces here. Let's go with verse 63 first. It's the Spirit who gives life. If this is going to work... If the flesh of God, if the flesh of Jesus Christ fixing my flesh through physical means is going to work, it can't just be like, let's eat some bread and drink some wine and now we're good to go. It's going to have to be much deeper than that. It's going to have to be spiritual. Now, what do we, what do we, what do we mean by spiritual? A couple things I want to point out here is, first of all, just biblically spiritual. We use the word spiritual sometimes to mean like, ghost-like, like immaterial, like I have a body, but I also have like this ghost named Aaron Miller that lives inside of me. The New Testament hardly ever means spiritual in that sense. Almost always, uh, this is the second most important thing I, I need you to hear from, from this morning. Almost always, spiritual in the New Testament means infused with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual doesn't mean immaterial, it means filled up with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, some examples. Think about Pentecost. Pentecost is like the, like, that's ground zero for a, whole, a spiritual event, right? That's the, that is the quintessential Holy Spirit event in the New Testament. Is it immaterial? Is it like, you know, do, do the people gathered on that first Pentecost, are they like, oh, now I have these deep insights in my soul? No, it's a radically physical thing. Tongues of fire. People speaking strange languages that they never knew before. People physically 
being moved and repenting their sins and coming to their faith, coming to faith. All of this is very it's super spiritual, but it's very, very physical too. I'll give you another example. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 44. Paul talks about our resurrection. And Paul says that when you and I, those of you who are Christians, when you're raised from the dead, that your body will be raised. He says, here's what he says, a spiritual body. What does that mean? If you're thinking of spiritual as like immaterial and ghost-like, it's going to be a nonsense statement. How can a body be spiritual? But he doesn't mean that. Here's what he means. He means a Holy Spirit-powered body. The Holy Spirit's going to raise our bodies from the dead someday, repair it, and then forever and ever in the new creation, our bodies will be infused with and empowered with and enlivened by and enlightened by the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit. See what I'm saying? Like, the resurrection is super physical. Like, I'm telling you, like dead bodies, like ground crumbling away and dead bodies coming up out of the ground. But it will be at the same time a powerful spiritual event in the sense that the Holy Spirit will be the author of it. Spiritual and physical going together here. Spirit means, spirit doesn't mean, uh, oh, here, one more thing. This is like, this is, I should, this is the first thing I should have said. Somebody's going to say, okay, so, but look, he says, he says it's the spirit, in verse 63, he says, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So clearly, like, the body's not important, right? Yeah, but you have to remember when he says the flesh is no help at all, that he just spent, like, six verses in a row saying, unless you eat my flesh, you'll perish, Says that he, he uses the word, he actually uses the word flesh in verse 53, verse 54, verse 55, verse 56. Um, pr- probably, I'm not going to sit here and look for all these, but probably in other ones as well. So, it's not that the flesh, the physical world is unimportant. What he means is this, is if it's just physical. Here's what, here's what he's saying to the disciples. Am I, if, am I losing anybody? Like, if, if seriously, if you're like, oh, this is too much, like, raise your hand. Or if, like, this is too boring, just raise your hand and give me a signal. Here's what he says. Like, if, if, disciples, whenever I say you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you're thinking of that as just physical, like, I, I need you to cannibalize me, like, you're missing the point. It's a Holy Spirit eating that you're doing. Okay, so then you don't mean physically, right, Jesus? No, I mean physically too. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't see the kingdom of God. Okay, so then it is physical. Yes, but it's a spiritual physical eating. And this is where, this is where you as Lutherans, you should, for those of you who are Lutherans, you should be glad that this is embedded in your theology. You should be humble too because we hardly ever get it right. But this is, it's physical and it's spiritual both. All right, it's physical and it's spiritual both. You are physically going to eat Jesus, but you're not cannibalizing him. It's a Holy Spirit-empowered eating. Can, can, can you, can, so this is, okay, teacher things here. I'm going to read to you from the formula of Concord, which is like one of the founding documents of the Lutheran Church to explain exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He says this. We condemn without any qualification the capernetic eating of the body of Christ. So the, the, the Lutheran fathers condemned without qualification the capernetic eating of the body of Christ. What does he mean, capernetic? Well, Jesus is teaching in Capernaum. And because the people at Capernaum were like, so you're saying we've got to cannibalize you? What the earliest reformers called that understanding of like, you know, cutting up Jesus' leg with a knife and munching on his body, they called that a capernetic understanding. No, the Lutheran reformers said, this is, we, we, we condemn any sort of notion that, here's what they say, 
um, eating the body of Christ as though one uh, chewed Christ's flesh with one's teeth and digested it like other food. That's not what we're talking about. In Holy Communion, you are not eating carbon material of Jesus. You're eating bread. You're not drinking red corpuscles. You're eating blood because it's a Holy Spirit-empowered eating. So, so, so I'm not really eating Jesus' body. No, you actually are eating Jesus' body, but it's a Holy Spirit-empowered eating of Jesus' body. Here's the other, so that's the Holy, I'll put it this way. It's the Holy, Holy Spirit's the first connection. Here's the second connection. I'm going to come back to that point. What does it mean to eat Jesus' body in a spiritual, physical manner? We'll do that in just a second. But here's the, here's the second point. Look at verse 62. Do you take offense at this? Jesus says in 61. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Okay. okay. Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, why would you bring the ascension up? Like, we're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your... What does the ascension have to do with anything? Does, does everybody know what the ascension is? The ascension, you know, so Jesus dies, rises from the dead, Acts chapter 1, Matthew 28, then he ascends to sit at the right hand of his father. His disciples see him uh, disappear in the cloud, and he says, you know, I'll, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, and I will return someday, that sort of thing. That's what the ascension is. Why does Jesus bring the ascension up here? L let me tell you why. First of all, there's a bad misunderstanding of the ascension that makes no sense with this reading. And I find that many Christians think of the ascension this way. Okay, so Jesus is here on the earth. He dies, he rises from the dead, and then he goes away. He takes a break. He's gone. Like, he's just gone. He sends his Holy Spirit, so that's good, but Jesus isn't here anymore. He'll return someday, but he's not really here anymore. Can I say, and I do not have time to unpack this right now. This isn't an ascension sermon. I just need this verse to make the point I'm trying to make here, or I just want to make the point that this verse is trying to make is the better way to say it. So I don't have time to argue for this, but let me, let me say this. This is the third most important thing I'm going to say today. The ascension means, the ascension does not mean that Jesus is gone. In the New Testament, the ascension, check this out, the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus is now everywhere. So it's super important. The ascension does not mean that Jesus is gone. It means that instead of being in Galilee now, Jesus is everywhere. Prove it, you say to me. I, I, I'm always bad at proving things. And like I said, this isn't an ascension sermon, so I don't have time to really unpack this. But can I just drop one little juicy proof text on you? Which if you don't think like this, it just kind of goes unnoticed. We read it a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 4. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He's talking about Jesus descending and then ascending to give good gifts. And Paul says this. Jesus ascended far above all the heavens. Why do you think Jesus ascended? Because he needed a break from us. Or, you know. No, Jesus says, Paul ascended far above all the heavens so that, check this out, so that he might fill all things. Why did Jesus ascend above the heavens? So that he could fill all things. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Jesus', Jesus ascension means, doesn't mean that he's gone and we're waiting for him to return. It means that he's everywhere now and we're waiting for him to appear. Jesus is everywhere, ruling over every square inch of his creation. Now, do you see the point he's trying to make back in verses 62 and 63? I am going to send to my Father. I will be everywhere. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be, you will be able to feed on me. You'll be able to feed on me. Not, so some of you know this phrase, not in a, Capernetic sense, not in a, like I'm chewing on Jesus' body, but in, in, in the words of Luther, in an in, with, and under sense. 
What does Lutheran mean by that? It's kind of weird words. What does he mean by end with and under? He means this, that when you come up here to the rail in just a few minutes, those of you who are believers, when you eat the bread and you drink the wine, what you're going to be eating is bread. We order it from some sort of service that provides communion bread. It comes like in a cardboard box, and we dump it in there and we give it to you. The wine is uh, MD30, and it sits, sits back there. And we get, It's just ordinary wine. It's just ordinary bread. When you come to receive communion, that's what you're getting. However, by the power of Christ's word, Jesus is in with and under there. All of Jesus, not part of Jesus. Not the intellectual, not Jesus' mind. I don't need his mind. Not Jesus' like the, the spiritual part of Jesus. I need that, but it's more than that. All of Jesus. Another way to say, why did Jesus come as a man, make himself a human being permanently so that he can die and rise from the dead? If it wasn't because my body and my soul are broken and his body and his soul are the only medicine and he's now about to give that to me and worship with him, how can this not be physical as well as spiritual? If, if it's not physical, my body's damned, which by the way, in the Baptist church that I grew up, grew up in, there's definitely a one-to-one connection here. We thought this is just an example. This is just like an object lesson to help us think about Jesus, his death and resurrection. What's the theology behind that? I just need object lessons. In here is broken and needs fixed. I need more spiritual faith. My body, I would have been told from the pulpit, your body's trash, man. It's going to go into the ground someday and it's going to rot and that's totally cool. Because your soul the part, of Jesus, the, the, the part of you that thinks about Jesus when you have this nice, tasty object lesson, that's going to fly up to heaven someday and fly up in the clouds with Jesus. That's what I would have been taught. And you know what's wrong about that? Well, like 15 different things. But the first thing is that there's no resurrection there. Like, I don't want my body to go on the ground and decay and my soul to fly up to play some sort of like ghost heart forever and ever. I want my body raised from the dead. And that, in fact, is what Jesus came to do. His body gets killed and raised from the dead. And I want him to do that with me. And the way he does that is spiritually and physically. That's why we have the sacraments. Last piece of the puzzle. This is a short one, I promise. Last piece of the puzzle. You have the body of God which gives life. The spirit of God gives life. Also the word of God gives life here too. Uh, Where are we at here? John chapter 6. Why am I looking at Luke 22? I apologize. I flipped my uh, page accidentally. Let me move back here. Um, The words, verse 63, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's the third thing he said in our text that's life. My flesh is life, um, the spirit is life, and now my words are life. Peter's going to confess this at the end. He's going to say in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What does the word have to do with this? Like I said, this is just ordinary bread and wine until God's word is combined with it, until God's spirit is combined with it, and then it becomes holy communion. Else it's just a snack. Right? But if, it's, if, if God's word and God's spirit are combined with it, Jesus comes with it. We get Jesus. The word of God is essential to this. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's talking about Holy Communion in 1 Corinthians 11. He says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. Did you catch that? Whenever you have Holy Communion, what are you doing? You are preaching the gospel until he comes. Now, let me ask you this. When the gospel is preached, those of you who are Christians, do you believe that when the gospel of preach, is preached, Jesus himself is there saving sinners and sanctifying saints? If you do, then Holy Communion is doing the exact same thing as the gospel preached. Holy Communion has power to sanctify. Holy Communion has power to build up grace. Why? Christ's flesh, Christ's spirit, 
Christ's word all combined. That's what we're talking about. All right, one last thing and then I'll let you be done. Let me bash on my Baptist heritage one more time with love and reverence and also the knowledge that there are things that Lutherans get wrong, that Baptists get right, that we, should, uh, that, that we can adjust. Let me say this. When I was a Baptist, we had uh, altar calls. So those of you who grew up in Baptistic, uh, uh, Baptistic churches, you'll know what I'm talking about. Those of you who grew up Lutheran, you're like, you weirdos. I saw that once on a Billy Graham crusade. But we had altar calls. Like, I'll confess, I went forward in an altar call like lots of times. And, you know, the altar calls, but by the way, I'm not saying they're bad and they're evil. Like, I, lots of good things happen in altar calls. Um, but at the, you have a worship service. At the end of the service, you would sing a song. Depending upon how aggressive the pastor was, you would sing, you know, three, four, five, ten verses to try and get everybody to come down or as many people to come down as possible and give their life to Jesus, dedicate your life to Christ, um, and I, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you many times, and I, I remember some of these experiences, going and praying and saying to Jesus, Jesus, I give my life to you. Like, you own me. I want to belong to you. And uh, there is value in that. But let me just point out historically that the altar call is um, a second great awakening version of historically what Lutherans have been doing, and not not just Lutherans, but a lot of Christians have been doing every Sunday for the past 2,000 years, which is an altar call. You're going to come forward in a minute, literally, for an altar call. But here's the difference. When I was a Baptist, and I'm not saying that there's no value in this at all, but when I was a Baptist, the altar call would be about me giving my life to Christ. Here's the last point I want to make. The altar call that we're about to do here in just a second, it's the opposite. You're not coming up here to give your life to Christ, although I hope that you have. You're coming up here because Christ is giving his life to you. You're coming up here because Christ gives his flesh to you, his spirit to you, and his word is the sign and the seal and the delivery guarantee that when we receive Holy Communion in faith, in Jesus' name, he is giving us all the benefits of the gospel. He's giving us all the benefits of the salvation. So that's all I'm doing. Is I'm, I'm going to invite you now. We're going to have communion. And come up here and receive those gifts. They're for you. They're physical because you need them. Ten more seconds. Some of you have heard this before. Most of you have heard this before. Why do you need, a phys- Why do you need Christ physically? Because that's who you are. You're physical and spiritual. Why does Reeve need hugs from me and me to tell her that I love her? Because she's physical and spiritual and I'm physical and spiritual. And when I hug Reeve, I would never in a million years say, Reeve, I love you. And when she tried to hug me, say, I can't hug you because we have a purely spiritual. The flesh profits nothing, Reeve. I would never say that to her in a million years. Why? Because that would not be loving. She has a body, and I have a body, and she needs hugs from me, and I need hugs from her. Neither would I give her hugs, though, and say, I don't need to tell you I love you. Like, I hugged you this morning. You should know that, right? This all makes sense to those of you who are normal parents, right? Or, or, you, know, or, or you have a loved one or you know, a, a significant other or, or, or whatever, or a best friend. You know that this is a vital part. This is not some sort of like quirk in the matrix. This is, not something, this is not some sort of flaw in your hardware. The reason why you need hugs and to be told that you're loved is because you're a human being created in God's image with a body and a soul. And the brokenness of your body and soul necessitated God himself taking upon himself a body and soul precisely so he could tell you that he loves you, but also so that he could give you a hug physically. That's what you're doing. Come up here to the rail. Don't mean to be cheesy, but come up here to the rail and know that Christ is hugging you at the rail. He is giving himself to you physically. All right, let's stand and pray and then let's receive communion.
Father, we thank you for being such a great God. We thank you for being a God who gives himself to us. All the other gods of the world, whether they're the pagan gods or the, uh, the gods that I have safely stashed in, in my secret worship nook at home, Father, the gods of autonomy and individualism or the gods of materialism and money or the gods of pleasure and the sexual revolution or just the, the gods of me being in charge of my own existence. Father, Thank you so much for being the kind of God who gives yourself to us. All those other gods demand from us and make me give them service and give them things in order for them to... And then they don't even pay out, Father. And you're the God who constantly gives, who constantly rewards those who seek you, who constantly says, taste and see that I'm good. And then you always are. Uh, God, thank you for being the God who gives. Gives us your word, gives us your spirit, gives us your sacraments. Be with us as we come to the rail here in a few minutes and help us to rejoice in that, that physical contact with you, that hug from you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all the ministries that your churches here in Edwards, all over the world, but here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon are about. We pray especially for our sister LCMS churches as they worship you this morning. We pray for all the Bible-believing, uh, gospel-centered missional churches in the area. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we see your kingdom physically and spiritually. See your kingdom uh, slowly but surely and, and uh, irresistibly grow here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray that you be with all those who are heavy of heart and who mourn this morning. I pray with those who are struggling with uh, financial worry and those who are struggling with... Um, vocational worry. God, maybe it's uh, uh, projects at work that need to get done or uh, um, stuff that needs to get sold or there's going to be financial hardship. Maybe it's the upcoming school year and the pressures of academic life that are weighing again on, uh, uh, weighing again on us. Uh, God, meet those needs. I pray for everyone who's struggling physically with pain and uh, with sickness. For those of us who are struggling with relational brokenness, Father, with the worry that comes from fractured relationships, or maybe it's the cold heart that comes after stealing ourselves against years of that, and, and the hopelessness that comes from relationships that we think will never be healed, and the, the coldness and deadness of heart that, that is a side effect of that. And For those who mourn, Father, I pray especially this morning that you'd be with the family of Missy Cavaza, a really, really good friend of Elaine um, Eberhardt, who uh, Missy passed away with her child and her husband in a car accident uh, this week, that you would give hope and comfort to their remaining children, and that somehow out of that senselessness that you would make your name great and good, and that you would be true to your promises that you're orchestrating all things uh, for our sanctification and for your glory and for the ultimate good. Father, help us to trust in that. Help us to trust in your love. Lord, in your mercy. We pray these things because you are a good God who's given yourself to us so that we can be bound to your Son, united to Him in baptism and in faith so that when we come into your throne room, we come with all the boldness of daughters and sons and we sit on your lap and we say, Father, give us your good gifts and we know that you always do. So we pray these prayers by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of our brother, your Son, Jesus. Amen. Confess if you can. Confess with me the words of the Apostles' Creed in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. If you couldn't be with us during the adult Bible study hour, uh, Sue Hasselbring, a missionary we support who is with International Student Ministry, is uh, make sure you say hi to her and ask her what she does and why it's important before you leave today. Go in peace.